this week's Two Men in the Middle. This is where two men in the middle of the country get together and talk about politics, current events, and other fun stuff. I'm Craig Huey. I'm Brandon Kinnig. Brandon, I like to tell people you've made it back from a war zone, but that's not 100% accurate, <laughs> is it? Yeah, not, not reality exactly. I was uh, a couple hundred miles from <laughs> a country that's at war. So I went to Poland and Germany, primarily Poland, uh, which is land of my ancestry. And then I did a side trip to Berlin. And it was a phenomenal trip. Visited uh, Warsaw, Krakow, and food, culture, history. Uh, it was more like work than a trip because I was walking constantly <laughs> and I was going places and I was touring yeah. places. I was very afraid I was going to gain a bunch of weight coming back because I was literally eating two to three meals a day, much more than I usually eat at home. I did not that's gain just, any weight. That's just been on vacation, Brandon. Right. I did not gain any weight. And I attribute that to just all the walking I did because I was constantly moving around, which so I think helped. When you go on vacation, you're not two weeks at a pool. And that's it. You never go anywhere. You don't. You don't like go to to Mexico and just sit by the pool for nine days. No, and never I mean I'll do a, that for like a weekend yeah. or something. But no, if I'm doing the extended vacations, I'm moving around. You got to have I'm some tasks active. to complete. Yeah. some things to say. We'll save your your trip to the end. Uh, so give us some details on that. Since you've been off for a couple of weeks and you've been traveling, we figured we'd just run through a list of things that have happened in the last couple of weeks here in the United States, um, just to keep you up to date and moving forward. I'm assuming, and again, this is a ridiculous question because I know the internet is, is everywhere, but it's pretty easy to keep up on, on events happening in the United States when you're in Europe, I'm assuming. Oh, absolutely. So I had you know phone data and my laptop on me, and, and headlines, U.S. headlines are everywhere abroad. So people may not realize this, but Europeans especially follow American news probably more so than Americans do. So they know what's happening. They know what our government is doing, yeah. and they care about what our government is doing. Um, so yeah, none of that, um, was surprising. So yeah, I feel like the last, it's been three weeks since we podcasted. Yeah. There's a grab bag of just all kinds so, of things. Brandon, that was a professional podcast setup to say that would happen unless you use Starlink and Musk decides to shut it off because he believes an attack on the Russian fleet in the Black Sea is going to cause World War III. Right. So this is now news because this came out. There's a recent book about Elon Musk, um, including all of his just eccentric behavior and his life story. There's a lot to get into there, do armchair um, psychology. But this wasn't exactly, I think, revelatory. I mean, this we heard about this a while back, if you recall. Um, This was a topic last year or may have been 2021, when he decided to shut off Starlink, and then he Mm -hmm. turned it back on. But now we know the details, that Ukraine was actually ready to engage a massive attack. uh, And this was all done just out of fear that Russia was somehow going to retaliate with nuclear weapons, which I've long believed is a misplaced fear. Of course, Russia is going to, you know, say things with bombast. But they also know that would be their annihilation if they did that. Sure, and we're not even sure they have a working nuclear arsenal. No, we're not. left. I mean, from what we've seen out of them, it wouldn't be surprising if a lot of those missiles were not were not functional at this point in time. It's a it's a great point, but what I think is very concerning about this story is that one man has all of this power to literally decide the trajectory of a war, a conflict, and who comes out on top. Uh, let alone, we also have to remember that Elon has you know many contracts with the U.S. government. Uh, but his Starlink system is essentially a monopoly, and it's the only way that some people can communicate in parts of the world and receive information. And I think it all goes back to the fact that 
why is this all in the hands of one man and why is this not regulated? And the fact, I think this is going to present a lot of challenges for the U.S. government, too, who has these entangled contracts with Elon, uh, but yet has no control over his decision making. And this is really at his whim, what he decides personally or what he thinks personally. So uh, Elon Musk is either the smartest man in the world or a complete and total idiot. Definitely not the former, definitely the latter. Evidence that he's a complete idiot is when in an interview, I believe this was with Politico or or something about this, about this book and about this incident, he said, well, I thought people in Ukraine were just going to use Starlink to watch Netflix and get email and stuff. I had no idea the military would use it. That's either a lie or he's a moron. I guess we'll go with lie. When the war started off, started off the 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 pentagon very quickly went to elon musk and they whipped a deal together to to put starlink and make starlink available for ukraine i don't believe they ever thought that elon musk would still have control of the ability to shut off the internet at certain parts in ukraine and the the story i believe goes as the Ukrainians are, compare, are, are preparing this drone attack on the Russian fleet in the Black Sea, he gets a call from somebody out of Ukraine and a Ukrainian person or a person interested in Ukraine from California. That's when they hook him up, I believe, with somebody directly in Russia. And he talks to somebody that says, if you allow this to happen, you would be starting World War III. That's right. when he made the decision to turn off the, the internet, basically, in Crimea. So when these sea drones, as they get closer to their target, they lost internet connectivity, directional navigation, and, and did, no, did no harm. It's not clear to me. Do we even know if he spoke to an official government no, representative he of did Russia? Not. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know if he spoke to a government official in Russia, but he did speak to somebody from Russia. That person was either from Russia or was in California at the time, but he did have some information and contact with the Russians because that's where they told him, if you do this, we will launch some sort of of attack of mass scale if, if this happens. This would be like the CEO of Lockheed Martin, Brandon, building a kill switch into all F-35s that says, eh, if they fly over this area that I like or where I'm from, or that I think uh, I don't believe we should be there, I can just shut those planes off. Right. No contractor, when you contract to the United States government or the United States military, retains any type of, of authority of how those things are used. So no. if you're wondering why the U.S. government's kind of fucking with Elon lately, eh, maybe they're trying to send him a message. Yeah, and they have good reason to. Like you said, there's no precedent for this. And it's ridiculous, too, because Russia has been making these incendiary threats from the very beginning. Uh, These types of bombastic threats of uh, nuclear annihilation and fire and brimstone have been made by Putin and his surrogates um, since the beginning of the war. They're not new. And when people use the term oligarch, this is what an oligarch is. And this is what an oligarch does. This is a private citizen making a decision that is exclusively to the United States military. I I think Elon Musk is heading to the point where he gets a knock on the door or maybe a a phone call for a a come to Washington for a sit down. I think he's going to get his chain yanked a little bit and we might see some different behavior out of out of Elon. I mean, I hope that's the case. What we've seen over the last year or so is his behavior has become more and more erratic and unstable and unpredictable. And, you know, and he's he's feeling the heat and the pressure right now with Twitter's uh, revenues plummeting because he's lashing out i mean very well, personally you know anybody why, who criticizes did, did you hear why that is it's no the, why is that it's the jews 
<laughs> oh, that yeah. It's the American. I don't think we even spoke about that. No, yeah, it's it, 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 it's the ADL, the right. American De- uh, Defamation League. You know, if the <laughs> uh, Elon is using a trope that's been used for centuries, yeah. and that is, if the Jews didn't bitch about how much anti-Semitism there was, people would stop being so anti-Semitic <laughs> to Jews. That's basically Elon's defense. That's so ridiculous. His ad revenue's been cut by 50%, 60%. That's never recovered. And one of the reasons why is the American Defamation League, which is basically a, a, an organization fighting anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the United States has basically gone to a lot of people who advertise on Twitter and said, are you aware of all the anti-Semitic Nazi and racism that's been flooding back to Twitter since Elon Musk took over and big companies, prestige brands and Brandon, you know, this more than, more than I are not going to get involved with something where there's that type of brand. risk. No, they don't want any alignment of their brands and their, uh, company, uh, namesakes and images to be side by side or alongside Nazi imagery or yeah. you know racist imagery, and so that's that's the problem. Brands will always step back and say no, thank you to that. And Brandon, did you know that in typical Elon fashion, he blamed the Jews for taking Twitter's worth from like forty four billion when he bought it down to like four billion or something as what the ad revenue would support today. No genius. The ADL did not do that to you. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's such ridiculous. I mean, it's not even hyperbole. It's just flat out wrong. But it's just also remarkable that he was willing to tweet that out. I I did read that a couple of times and like, did he actually say this? He did. He's just (laughs) lost touch with with reality at this point. I think it feels like the United States government is going to check Elon Musk as much as they can coming in the next months. And this shit over Starlink is going to be the reason for for doing it. Some of the excerpts of this new book, I think it's Walter Isaacson's book on on Elon Musk that have also come out, is... um, Step a little closer to your mic, Brandon. uh, Conversations with Elon where he has said um, and told people at Twitter now X that they need to be careful about what they say about the Chinese because of his contrast with the Chinese government. Um, especially as it relates to, um, the, um, uh, Uyghur, uh, minority, the Uyghur minority. Uh, and I mean, he basically said that also claimed that there's two sides to that conflict, which are really, is not (laughs) there's only one side China's persecuted an ethnic minority and has been for many years. Brandon, I'm starting to believe that free speech absolutism is somehow tied to capitalism and making oh, imagine money. imagine that. I, it's, just, it's just this sneaky suspicion. It's that funny how that unravels, when, you know, when, when Musk money is, is like, hey, I'm all for everybody saying anything, except if we have a problem with my manufacturing facility in China. Right. Now we have a whole All bets are off at that point. Brandon, have you ever seen the movie, or not movie, I'm sorry, the play Beetlejuice? I'm not. You know what's funny is I've been wanting to see that because I have an affinity for the original film. Okay. And uh, God, I hated that original film. You did. I loved it. That slapsticky style stuff. You don't like it? Just irritates. That the was shit one of Tim me. Burton's like OG movies. But anyway, so it's off. It's not on Broadway anymore. And so I, I noticed. So there was playing at Denver, and I thought, I, you know, kind of back of mind that if I was in Denver at the time, oh, I'd you, go see it. Oh, we but I'm such not. An Can you imagine if I had been at this performance? I mean, <laughs> it would have been the performance for, of all for people who don't know what. We're talking about Lauren Boebert, the congresswoman from the MAGA cr- Colorado. congresswoman from Colorado. Her and her, I'm going to call it 
boyfriend because she was married. Now she's in the process of getting a divorce, I believe. Or yes, a divorce divorced. from her ex-husband who exposed himself to teenage girls <laughs> in a bowling alley, for those that don't remember that story. Uh, Lauren knows how to pick them. She is at a performance at, she is at a performance of Beetlejuice with her boyfriend, I'm going to call him. Yeah. And she gets kicked out. And she gets kicked out because she was vaping in the audience while sitting behind a pregnant woman. Right. They just would not sit still. They made noise the entire time. She they was were singing, filming the performance. Filming, singing, uh, you know, ridiculously and, and obnoxiously. The, and from the video you showed me of the security, they were just playing a little grab ass too during the uh, the performance. Oh, yeah. So they at one point, and that's out of the video, they're making out, but they're also, there's some fondling going on, some grabbing of the crotch. Like, I mean, it's like, they might as well have gone to dry humping because they were practically doing everything else in a crowded theater during a live performance. It was a U.S. Congresswoman and her date were basically acting like two drunk 16-year-olds at a theater and got thrown out. What? What? And they were asked many times to stop that behavior and and did not cease. So three times I stopped because the first question is what's wrong with Lauren Boebert? I I, I don't care. We don't need to psychoanalyze every every person in Congress. We don't... She acts the way she does. It is what it is. So I really don't care if she's entitled and all of that. Is there anything other than than defeating her in an election? Is there anything that can we do to contain or control Lauren Boebert or any of these kind of out of whack members of Congress? And I'm going both Republicans and Democrats here, but this really seems to be settling most on the Republican side of the fence. Party leaders can um, remove uh, troublesome members like this from key committees. They can, that's not likely to happen. They can be censored, you know, by the full House. Um, not likely to happen here. But there are retaliatory actions that can be taken. They can be talking. They can be taken in private and scolded. Uh, you know, the problem is, I mean, Kevin McCarthy is a pushover, so he's not going to do any of this because he depends upon every member, and he's already facing a rebellion from the House Freedom Caucus um, that may threaten his speakership. More on that. But so, yeah, I mean, there there are some things that can be done, but no, an election is the way to really, um, you know, send a strong message. And I think that'll likely happen. For those that don't remember, Lauren Boebert is from a deep red district in Colorado, but she only won by 500 votes out of over 2 million cast in the last election. Uh, so she had a strong Democratic opponent who's already running again, who's raised four times as much money as she has. And this is only the latest blunder that she's made, if you call it that. I, I mean, she was one of those that was uh, protesting Kevin McCarthy's speakership, and, and and she was causing all kinds of antics related to the budget earlier this year. So she has not won herself over to anybody and has not won any favors. And it's she seems to not want the seat because she's doing everything possible to lose it. If we've said it once, we've said it here a hundred times. Lauren Boebert is what's happens to a politician when you remove shame, accountability, and fear. Right. Where you just walk through the world as if you're the only one in it and you are the only one who is impacted by decisions you make. And unfortunately, we've got an epidemic of that in Congress right now on both sides of, of the fence. And I think one of the things that illustrates this week is Mitt Romney just said, I, I'm just, I, I'm done. If I won my next election, which I'm sure he would, he's 76 now. He'd be into his 80s. And he's like, it's just it's just time to go. What's remarkable about that is 
the act of resigning um, due hmm. to age is so unique now because he is a minority. Yeah. That is not something that you see done. And this also comes less than a week after Nancy Pelosi announced that she's running for another term. That's disgusting. And you have others in the Senate like Barbara Boxer who have not stepped down. You have Mitch McConnell Feinstein. who has had two incidents where he is froze <laughs> and will continue serving out his term. So the fact that you have Mitt Romney say, you know, I'm getting old. It's time. And he went beyond that to say we need a new generation of leaders beyond Biden yes. and Trump. Yes, I think he's the first gener. Yeah, I think he's the first generational leader to say, "Hey, it's just time for me and a whole bunch of other us to go." And he also called out Holly and Cruz, I believe, in his exit of saying, "Hey, these are the type of performative people that the Republican Party want right now," and I'm just not. There's no day of the week that I'm ever going to be what people want right now. No. Mitt Romney has a book coming out, and some of the excerpts are – he does not hold back. They're pretty unforgiving. He said there's a large portion of his party that just does not believe in the Constitution anymore. Uh, he does call out Holly and Cruz as well as J.D. Vance directly and very yeah. aggressively in terms of just how they have completely capitula capitulated. These are people that know better, that are smart, that are Ivy League educated, but they have made 180-degree turns, you know, and they are taking broad swaths of the party base with them. And, you know, I think what's very remarkable, too, is this is a man who— you know, just back in 2012 was the party's nominee for president, received 61 uh, million votes in the general election. And all of a sudden now he's persona non grata. I mean, he's hated by his party's base, considered a traitor. He spends $5,000 a day on security for his family because of that. death threats and that's harassment. So yeah. I mean, that's it's just incredible. Is this is this a big deal to the Republican Party or is it just eh? Just just an old guy who's past his prime. Nobody cares. I, I feel like it should be a big deal, but I feel like it isn't. I mean, no. it's just people are shrugging and moving on. But I, it wasn't surprising, but the fact that he said that virtually all of his colleagues feel the same as he does about Trump, but they won't verbalize it. You know, he'll they'll be in meetings or see Trump, and they will play the game. And then after Trump leaves, they're like, oh, my gosh, he's awful. He's yeah. ridiculous. They make fun of him. But yet they won't speak out against him. And, you know, it's that cowardice that, you know, Mitt Romney calls out because he's been consistent since the beginning. He voted for both impeachments. He was the only Republican yeah. to vote for the first impeachment uh, when uh, Trump pressured and, and tried to bribe Ukraine. So I think it's it is a remarkable turnaround for a party to, you know, just completely disavow what what a leader who, yeah. you know, is someone who should be listened to. But I think it'll fall on deaf ears. Mitt Romney is the living example of he didn't leave the party, the party left him. Oh, Mitt completely. Romney is standing right where he was when he ran for president, right where he was as a governor of Massachusetts. The the party is just just has no desire for anything Mitt Romney is selling right now. No. I mean, he's he's of a bygone era. Yeah. I mean, it, the party has moved so far away from him. Uh, I mean, even if he did run again, it would be doubtful that he could win a primary. Yeah. And I mean, he, you know, he talked about just the high school uh, cattiness, like, I mean, of the Republican caucus after his he was elected in his vote uh, for impeachment. He was just somewhat um, ignored and just marginalized yeah. by his colleagues, uh, you know, because, again, it's high school, you know, locker behavior. And so it's just it's really remarkable that it's come to this. And, you know, it's not surprising, but to see it in print and to see him, you know, talk about it so directly head on again, one of, you know, many 
warnings for the party that will not be heated. No. Brandon, I goofed up. We used the word dry hump for the first time ever, I think, of the podcast. We have another sex story, and I missed it. We should have went right from <laughs> Bobert and dry hump. Oh, that would have been a great transition. I know. I totally screwed that up to crispy, Chris, well, crispy, crispy, Christy gnome <laughs> and Corey Lewandowski. Apparently, they've been going at it since like 2019. Yeah. And I think they just. Had, that, that's been confirmed, basically, hasn't it? I mean, it's pretty much... Yeah, there's like, been investigation, yeah. the hotel receipts, the overnights, all of that is there. People have seen them canoodling and making out, like, again, eyewitness accounts. So I don't think this is in doubt now. It's... it's uh, I don't know where to start. There's... You can go to, like, the family values aspect of it. Both of them are married. Both have children. You know, Chrissy Nome paints herself as a family values sure. culture, you know... Uh, Republican who's fighting the culture wars. Corey Lewandowski has a pretty um, unsavory past. Yeah. So he has hit on, assaulted women. Um, many allegations have been made about him. He was actually, actually kicked out of Trump orbit for a while and then brought back into the fold after Trump left the White House. And so he's now part of the campaign apparatus and back in the good graces. They all come back eventually and that's the thing too i mean there is no trump has no moral rule book uh, i mean these people branded trump trump dropped gnomes um endorsement he came out and said i will not accept her endorsement now he is that morally offended by this <laughs> right he did oh he, wait he did no i'm not lying he, oh i miss this. He, he he came out today i think on truth social and said i will no longer accept the 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 uh the not the the endorsement of christy gnome because of her affair with Gore Ludowski. Brandon, Pop he, me he, kettle. he has drawn a line in the sand oh, this is the of line. moral behavior that he will not cross. And Christy Nome, unfortunately, has crossed that. So it's interesting that that's the case. But you have um, uh, Jason, um, I forget his last name, his aide, who actually oh, knocked up. Jason Miller. Yeah, Jason Miller, who knocked up a woman yeah. and then drugged her drink to get her to have an abortion. abortion. Um, and he was let back in the fold, so that's okay, but an affair isn't. No, I mean, that, that's a bridge too that's far, a, Brandon. Okay. I, 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 I really I, thought that the, you were joking because no, it just, nope, again, nope. pop me kettle. In I, some I ways, I wish I were, but no. <laughs> Brandon, I've been married for going on 28 years. The first thing I don't understand, how in the world do you carry on a four-year affair when you're married? Just the, the mental, emotional, physical strength it would take to do that is just, I've never, ever understood it. I've, I've never understood that either. And I've heard these stories, and I know a few people that have these stories of even longer than four years where these secret affairs were carried on. Somewhere it was like, I, I the case that blows me, and I'm getting off track a little bit, is like the men that have either multiple oh, women yeah. or multiple wives in different cities, and they somehow keep them. Like, how do you like keep your sanity managing all of that? Brandon, I do if, not understand. if I committed a crime that I needed to go to jail, and the judge told me you can either start another family in St. Louis <laughs> or do ten years in jail, I'll take the ten years in prison. <laughs> You're done. It's not even close. Yeah. I, I understand as a married person the one night stand thing. Yeah, totally. It I totally see how that how that happens. But this is a four year another affair. life. It's a this whole other life. How, who I really feel sorry for is all the state troopers and security that have had to lie, have oh, had to move imagine? these two around. It's just it's just gross. Christy Nome, I thought 
saw herself as a presidential candidate at some point. Right. I thought she was positioning herself. You've seen those commercials for her in South Dakota. We have 25,000 jobs where she's in the plumber outfit. Yep, I've seen those ads. Christy Noem is an attractive woman, and she knows that, and she uses that in her her political advertising very well. Yeah. as, As well she should. But I thought she was positioning herself maybe for another a run at the president. I, I think this pretty much ends any any opportunity for that in the upcoming years. I think so, too. Guess. There's been some issues in South Dakota. There was a, a local scandal in South Dakota. Uh, probably if you're outside the state, you'd have to follow it involving her niece getting a license. I and, saw that. Yeah. yeah. And there was an was agency like a barber head. license or right. something, but they, they gave her, let her take the test or right. And her agency head that was yeah. pressured to, to lie. So, you know, there, there was already some issues there, but I think, yeah, it's, I think her presidential prospects have dimmed quite a bit. Listeners had no idea this was going to be the horniest version uh, of, of two bit in the middle ever. Right. Let's keep the sex stuff going. <laughs> Tucker Carlson interviewed some gentleman that I'm not even going to say his name because I forgot it because it doesn't even matter. This is a guy that in 2018, 2017 came out and said that he had a sexual relationship with Barack Obama. They had met at a hotel a couple times and they had had some drug filled, sex filled romps basically. This gentleman has been to prison for 13 years, I believe, in Colorado for some sort of fraud. He is somebody who who said he would pass a lie detector test on these charges. He did not. He failed. He failed the test, He has yeah. numerous felony arrests for fraud around him and is just somebody who's known who will say or do anything He's an for money seeker. and attention. Attention seeker, exactly. But who, of course, brought this story to the masses? Uh, Tucker Carlson. Oh, yeah. Tucker. Well, and Tucker Carlson, I think, failed to mention that he failed that lie detector test. I think he only said that he took one, which the Brandon, implication Tucker's is just asking questions. He's not waiting for the answer, <laughs> validating that answer. He's just asking the question. Who cares about truth at this point? But I also think, I mean, these accusations go back, I think, even further. They were disavowed years ago. I think these were actually surfaced either back when Obama was president or running for it. Um, quickly investigated, quickly found that there was no there there, no evidence. And so... I don't understand Tucker bringing this back to the surface unless it's, again, just a way to try to, um, you know, make himself stand out to differentiate himself in the news cycle and and get attention because none of this is new. Like you said, it's been around for a while since like 2018. The only thing that I can figure Tucker's doing, he is sending the shot out to everybody saying, don't fuck with me. I've entered that phase. I will say, do platform Anyone. Anything. I will, if you want to start some with me, you better really think about that because I will go in directions and ways that you will never think I'll go. And for Tucker Carlson, he's not worried about his reputation as a journalist anymore. Oh, not at he's all. not worried about getting back on cable television. I think that's gone. Yeah. I think he's just saying, I'm going to do what I want when I want, cause as much destruction as I can, and just nobody's going to stop me. I, th- I think that's accurate. Yeah. God, I guess this is our, I guess this is our last sex uh, category here. Tim Scott, Tim Scott, uh, Senator from South Carolina is running for president. Uh, he's doing what three to 5% in the polls. Tim Scott in the Republican party has, has a stellar reputation. Doesn't he just, just a guy who everybody likes. He does a decent guy. Is yeah. he the only black Republican Senator too? He is. And he's been that for, I think a long time, quite a while. 
and Tim Scott is, has had to say things and do things for the Republican Party as the only African-American in that position. That the last African-American senator was J.C. Watts from Oklahoma, Oklahoma. who yeah. yeah, left in the early 2000s, I think. But by all accounts, Tim Scott's been a good soldier for the Republican Party. Yes. He runs for president, and for his trouble, he basically is being told that donors are squeamish and are going to stop donating to him because he's a man in his 50s who's single, who doesn't have a girlfriend, who's never talked about his sexuality. Well, Brandon, obviously that means Tim Scott secretly gay. Tim Scott, in an interview, basically said people stopped donating money and told him to his face I'm not giving you any more money because I don't want a surprise somewhere down the road. Basically implying that we know you're gay. You're just going to, you're going to come out at some point in time. And I don't want to be associated with that. Tim Scott has also said that they're calling me basically gay because they won't call me black. That's a little bit out of brand for Tim Scott and a little bit, I think it shows some of the overall frustration he has with the Republican party and some of the donors that he's dealing with. When people talk about a uniparty and that the Republicans and Democrats are the same, no, <laughs> Could they're not. Be not. More different, yeah. They are well, not shows, the you, same party. No, I mean, the fact that you have some of the donor class that is concerned about that, I mean, in 2023, tells you how yeah. wide the, you know, the variances between the two parties, the chasm, and the fact that it's so out of step with where most voters are and most Americans in 2023 in terms of their views on LGBTQ issues and on gay marriage and so forth. Uh, you know, it's interesting because this has long been a rumor, if not open secret, especially among those that live in South Carolina, that both of their senators are in the closet. <laughs> uh, you know, especially when you have two, not only that have never been married to women, but have never been linked ever to a female companion or to a girlfriend. Brandon, you just gave take... me the greatest idea ever. Tim Scott holds a press conference and says, I want to introduce the world to the love of my life person I've been with for years, my partner, my, my rock, my salvation, everybody, Lindsey Graham. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and it turns out those two were a couple all along. That would, that, I mean, that would be a master stroke. Uh, I don't give a shit about any senator's sexuality. Yeah. One, when you get down to it, you're thinking about the sexual habits of old men and old women, which I don't really right. tear, care to think about very do, much. Do you want to, again, a difference between the parties, a good counterexample of something that's similar is um, Senator Cory Booker has long had, there's been rumors about his sexuality. Oh, he was dating Rosario Dawson. He was, but if you remember, oh. he started dating her um, only after like he was first elected, and then they, I think they broke up in 2018, and he hasn't been linked yeah. to a woman since. Now, who knows, right? I mean, but again, those rumors are just rumors that are out there, mostly tabloid and media fueled, but it doesn't impact the donor class in the Democratic Party. They don't care. It doesn't impact his support. It doesn't impact his chances to win because Democratic voters don't care and don't see that as an impediment where you have old Republicans that do. Yeah. And so that's the difference. Two Democrats. Who you have sex with is about number 17 on the list of what, of what I'm interested right. in right now. I hate to say it, but number one is just how old are you and how functional are you? <laughs> yes. I mean, if you're 50 with a fully functioning brain, well, you're ahead of a third of the Senate. Yeah. I, I just, to me, this story kind of, kind of made me grimace a little bit just because the fact that, again, good guys do finish last most of the time. And they Tim do, Scott's yeah. done nothing to, to, to have to answer these types of questions. Well, and, and think about it from this perspective, that that would be something that would be so concerning that it would impact his ability to move forward 
when we have the ex-president Donald Trump, who shagged a porn star, who, you know, bragged about um, assaulting and groping women, who's been convicted in civil court of rape, essentially, that you can have all of that. And that doesn't matter. But, you know, one's perceived sexuality, that does matter. (laughs) I mean, that's where we're at. Brandon, there have always been kind of well-defined rules around sex and politicians and candidates. I mean, yes, a lot of politicians want to sell the fact that that they're married. If that marriage is happy or if they cheat on their spouse, that's not part of it. It's just traditionally a, a politician had to be married because marriage showed stability. Why would you why would you vote for a man in the 60s and 70s who didn't even have a, a wife and children? That that that's ridiculous. Those rules, I think, are they've certainly have changed, especially for, for Congress. But there's a lot of people that just cannot wrap their mind around, especially Republicans. How can a man be in his mid-50s and not be at least married once? Well, and we have, though, had – we've had one unmarried president. Do you remember who that was? Hold on. You have to kind of go mm, pretty far back. We're mm. talking about – is, is it Andrew Jackson? No. Nope. 19th century, though. Shit. No, I got it. Uh, James Buchanan okay. was unmarried. And That's because fact, he was very ugly. <laughs> and his sister was the one who basically played the role of first lady as yeah. hostess at White House functions. That's gross. But there is, I mean, there was a longstanding rumor about James Buchanan as well. But um, it is, so it's not unprecedented or unheard of. But I think it is also very different in today's environment. You have very different media environment. You have very, very different environment in terms of how money is allocated and donor class being able to lift somebody up. Uh, but yeah, it could not be more different in terms of night and day between the two parties and the response, I think. As a reformed Republican, if Tim Scott came out and said, yep, you got me, I'm gay. He, he's done in the race, right? That, that there's no, the Republicans are not ready for that. There's I don't, no, yeah, way. I don't think so. I mean, enough of the old generation has not died off. So they're not ready. I, if you look at attitudinal surveys, there is a clear, uh, deviation between young Republicans and and the oldest Republicans. Young Republicans, of course, are accepting and just as they are of climate change. Uh, but no, that is not the case with the the old. Uh, I don't know why I'm calling the old people. <laughs> I'm struggling. The the senior Republicans. I, I, I just call them the olds. The olds. Okay. You can just say olds and just anybody you want. Just pour into the olds bucket. And you have to remember too that. Um, the young Republicans that are out there, they're not the ones that make up uh, vast numbers in the primary and caucus states during the, you know, Iowa. I mean, yeah. what is the average age of an Iowa caucus? It's got to be 80. It's gotta, yeah, it's got to be close to 80. So again, those are the people that he has to appeal to, you know, mostly evangelical voters. You can see the very tiny, narrow segment of the party that gets into the whole issues of, you know, the way the primaries and caucuses are structured, but they lend themselves to where, no, they're just not ready for that. So if Tim Scott had been divorced three times and currently running around with a woman half his age, oh, that, that would, would be, be okay. cool. Yeah. We'd have no problem with that. But God forbid, it's just that we don't even know his sexuality is something now that's becoming a, a hindrance for Because apparently that has party. to be public. Like, we must all know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because that's obviously uh, critical to the job, right? I mean, that's I'll just... ask a question I already know the answer to. Brandon, is a candidate's sexuality 
anywhere in on your vote? Do you do you do you put that anywhere in the mix to vote for somebody? Not at all. I, I just no, can't see not why impact anybody would. It does not relate to experience. It does not relate to qualifications. It does not relate to policy positions. Anything like that. But it, it also, I think it it gets to this is also where the United States differs from um, Europe and other Western nations in many respects is our obsession obsession and focus on um, sexuality on personal lives of politicians, on relatability, on whether or not there's somebody we can drink a beer with. We place all this emphasis on these superficial and perceived characteristics of who they are um, as a private person rather yeah. than you know their public policy positions, much more so than they do in other countries, where, again, that's not the focus and they could care less. It's about what they can accomplish. And I think I think Republicans are just just in the extremely early phases of realizing that personal charisma, that personal, I want to, I like this person, I want to have a beer with this person, that that is tremendously going away in importance in a federal election, and even a statewide election. And the ability to talk directly with voters to gather votes and chase down votes is really how elections are are one. My my example of this is say what you want about Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake was a very dynamic candidate. She hit all of those those old kind of of plateaus you're talking about. Somebody who's good on camera, somebody who's a dynamic speaker, somebody who has a personal story to tell. And she lost to a non-existent candidate in Katie Hobbs for yeah. governor, who was about as milk toast as, as you can get. Who didn't actually like campaign. Didn't really campaign. Yeah. <laughs> Biden's another example of this. I think what I think where the Democrats have a significant jump on how modern elections are won is that the, the, the Republicans just keep looking for the big guy with the broad shoulders and the big voice who's just going to tell you all what to do. And that's the way it's going to go. And they just can't make the pivot to that is not as important as it is this person told five of their friends to vote for Katie Hobbs, then made sure they either had rides to the to the polling place to vote or collected the vote themselves and brought it in. And it's that disconnect that the Republicans, they just I don't know why, but they just they see the gap there, I think sometimes, but they just don't know how to address that. So I agree. That's a gap operationally, right? The disconnect in terms of how Democrats get out the vote versus Republicans whose get out the vote efforts have completely just you know languished over the last several ele- election cycles. But I think the difference goes far beyond that. Republicans have moved away from the personal charisma, somebody I would have a beer with, to just wanting somebody who's going to feed their notions of grievance and just resentment. Just make me angry, yeah. Make me angry, um, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, rule the libs and, yeah. you know, uh, roast them, um, you know, feed that resentment complex I have. As Charlie Sykes put it, puts it, you know, hit all the erogenous zones. Oh, yeah. That the base voters tickle have. everything that needs to be tickled. Uh, that's what they want over policy, over relatability. It's um, just make me feel good and feed into my perceived beliefs, whether those be delusional or you know just completely conspiratorial. Doesn't matter. But feed into them. That's all I care about. That's all I want. Whereas Democrats, um, their candidates are instead saying. I'm the rational person. I'm the person of sanity. I may be boring, but I'm saying I'm rational. I'm not going to destroy anything, and I'm not going to you know mess anything up. And that's what won voters over in 20. 20- 
um, 20 when it came to Biden's campaign, but especially last year in 2022 with the Senate and House races, because Republicans put up so many of those um, grievance Trump MAGA candidates, and Democrats didn't have to really have compelling candidates. Like you said, Katie Hobbs was not particularly no. compelling. You had others like Fetterman in Phil- Pennsylvania that were not very compelling, who yes. had their own health issues. Yes. But it was it was sanity. It's just like, I'll be the reasonable, sane person. I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'll be boring but not crazy, and that wins out. And Republicans have not learned that. Brandon, we're going to have to put an R rating on this podcast. All this sex talk, and now we end with tickling erogenous zones and others. <laughs> we just can't I figured I might as well just roll with it, right? We, we started can't it. get off the sex tonight. Uh, let's keep the sex rolling with the Bidens. I, I don't know how to make a transition from, from sex to I don't Bidens. know where you're going there's, there. There's a Hunter Biden crack about the laptop or something. Ah, okay. A couple interesting things for the Bidens this week. Um, Hunter Biden is going to be reindicted on a gun charge. And again, this stems from him when he filled out the form to get a gun. He did not check. He was a drug user, yada, yada, yada. This is the one that went to court about a month ago when they thought they had a deal. And somehow, well, not somehow, the DOJ, in an attempt to hide what they were doing, took all of the financial stuff that they're investigating, tried to link that up with the gun charge and say, you can't charge for these potential crimes under the the uh, the uh, um, guys of the gun probation. That's when the judge looked at that and said, "You can't do that." If you want to, if you want to say that, hey, we're excusing all these other financial crimes, that's fine. You can just do that if you'd like, but you can't bake it into a gun charge and then say that the diversionary program in the gun charge is linked to him not being charged anymore for financial crimes. Yeah. That, that was ridiculous. So they unpacked all of that. And now Hunter is going to move forward with this gun charge. And we don't know. I'm assuming this will be a felony he'll be indicted on. I'm assuming there's going to be a recommendation for no jail time. And this charge will just simply go away in the next couple of couple of weeks. I mean, it, it seems that way. And I think you had predicted this was, you know, the outcome that they should have sought you know, with a felony conviction a while back. Yeah. That, that's, that's the, the difference. Key. Yeah. They have to hang the felony conviction on Hunter. I, I just think so much of, of what has happened with Hunter could have been avoided if they just would have taken the gun charge and the tax charge and said, felony on this it stays on your record. And maybe you get 90 days probation with a, a two weeks in impact incarceration on something. Other. There were ways they could have done this. That would have, for the most part, spared Hunter Biden. Let's not think Hunter Biden is completely innocent. Right. doesn't deserve something out of all of this. But they're, I think once that deal got blown up, they've come back to and said, okay, not only can we redo this, let's maybe redo this in a way that helps some of this stuff go away. Yeah. Let, let's give the other side a little bit of what they want. What is the problem with Hunter Biden moving forward through life as a convicted felon? I can't see a single downside to it. And the problem with not going far enough now, like you have Republicans that are chomping at the bits in the House who are saying, well, this should only be the beginning. Like, you know, we need more. Hunter Biden needs to be indicted on all of these other financial charges. And they're planning to really press the um, DOJ to do that. Uh, So um, the story, I don't think, is over. I mean, Republicans are going to try to play the game of – uh, of equivocation, basically, you know, saying yeah, that this you, is no different yeah. than Trump or it's worse. And so, you know, Fox News is probably going to run 27 hours a day programming on this as it moves through legally. I, I just want this one to be over because this is tied to 
the impeachment now of Joe Biden. Yeah. The impeachment inquiry. So help me out. Typically, when you even to launch an impeachment inquiry, where you typically take a vote on that. And you take a vote on that because that's what gives the inquiry really some balls. Some meat, yeah. Over just what Jim Comer and his committee's doing. So I don't, I don't quite understand the impeachment of Biden outside of it was a political move by McCarthy that he was pressured into by MTG and Trump himself. And I think, Trump, I think McCarthy is at the point where he's just saying piss on it. I'm not going to be here much longer. They're going to yank this away from me. There's no way anybody can manage this. Nobody wants this. So the main thing that might keep me in office is who, who who's next? Jim Jordan ain't going to take it. Scalise ain't going to take it. They could have taken it before and didn't. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure. I think McCarthy is just saying, fine, you want to impeach Biden with what we have? Let's go. Let's launch this inquiry. Let's see what happens. And the real goal of this is just to keep this in the news and to keep this kind of percolating as much as they can. This I, is counter-programming to Trump's stuff. Is oh, all that's all is. it is. I mean, it's diversion, right? I mean, so the – and the question is, like, what is the political relevance of this? Who does this help hurt? I mean, there's different schools of thought that this – um, hurts by, uh, Biden by, you know, muddying up the waters in terms of what, you know, are significant charges that Trump is facing, you know, in, in people's minds and trying to somehow tie um, Joe Biden to what's happened to Hunter. Uh, I take the opposite view. They don't have any evidence. They're not going to present any evidence. This is going to fall apart, particularly because you have um, 30 or so, maybe just 20, but maybe even the realm of 30 Republicans in the House from swing districts who are not going to go along yeah. with this. So it's not going to go anywhere. Plus, uh, it looks like a nothing burger of an impeachment. If anything, you have Democrats, we know from recent polling, that are not excited about the election, that think no. Biden is too old. This can provide a rallying effect. For Biden um, in a moment where he needs it to get the base on his side and say, hey, this is an unfair attack. You know, this is ridiculous. And so that can prove helpful um, at a time when it's most needed. So I tend to be of the latter view that this hurts Republicans long term and makes them seem more ridiculous and more unserious at a time when, you know, they should be saying, you know, this is why we want the presidency. This is what we're going to do. And don't you have to bring this to a vote eventually? I mean, if you launch a, we'll call this a pre-inquiry or whatever this is, and you don't take a vote on impeachment, well, in some ways you've exonerated Oh, you Biden, have. But you? I don't think Kevin McCarthy won't if he doesn't have the numbers. And you're exactly he right. He doesn't have the numbers now. He doesn't. And so I don't think it goes to a vote. And I think it does make them look weak because it falls apart at that time. But they will still try to have it linger out there to make noise. But eventually it falls apart because the comeback is always, well, why haven't you voted? Why aren't you taking this further? And they don't have a good answer to that. And so I think then... I mean, it's it's really over at that point. Is this some weird attempt to generate a bargaining chip going into the budget discussions that have to conclude by the end of the month? Is this some weird, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm searching for how are they going to land this impeachment ship? Because without the votes, which I don't think they have and don't think they will get, how, what, why else? If, if you knew, let's say there were 25 Republicans that were not going to vote for this, 
And your ability to get those 25 Republicans is almost non-existent at this point. This investigation has been going on for years. We've spent months with Comer. The evidence is out there. If you don't have them now, you're probably not going to get them. So is there some four-dimensional chess piece he's trying to play to say, hey, we'll drop this if you give us this on the budget? I don't... I don't know how he has these two major things now, the the coming uh, uh, budget issue, which means the the shutdown of, of the government and the impeachment of Joe Biden. And with the 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 circus and monkeys he's dealing with, I don't see how he's going to bring either one of those to a successful conclusion. No. And again, once again, I think you can't give McCarthy that much credit because he's not that intelligent and he's not that forward thinking. I think he was simply thinking as far as I can throw this bone to the House Freedom Caucus on opening up an impeachment inquiry, not thinking exactly where that would go or what the ramifications of that would be, but just enough to buy me some leverage for a short-term budget reconciliation deal. But the problem is it's not working. You have people like Matt Gates who mm. are threatening to call the question, you know, to oust him as speaker. And now McCarthy is re- reacting, you know, and saying, then effing do it. Like, if you're going to yeah. do it, do it. So, you know, this was, I think, a poor attempt at appeasement that did not work. And I think he's back to square one because, I mean, it, it's not enough for these people. It's not going to change how they vote on the budget. Let's put it this way. If it were Russia— Gates would find himself thrown out of a window of a very tall building very quickly after the (laughs) shit he pulled the other day. How about standing up in the well of Congress and telling the Speaker of the House, if he doesn't come back into compliance, he will throw him out of his office. Yeah, talk about that language used. I mean, Hey, Gates, eat shit. Brandon, do you think think members of the U.S. government can have somebody assassinated? Uh... (laughs) I, do I think they can? I mean, I think it's... Let me they, rephrase. How high up the chain do you have to be before you could get somebody bumped off? Uh, I mean... Can the president do it? I mean, I, I think he could. <laughs> I mean... I, My I, only point to this is McCarthy wants to kill Gates. And oh, if he had yeah. a chance, he would... It, yes. Oh, undoubtedly. It, I Gates mean, is completely out of control and you said this earlier, there's no mechanism to rein him in. You no, just got to take can. it. you can't. I mean, he's not, he can't be nope. controlled and he refuses to. There was that remarkable footage during the House Speaker election where Gates at the last minute was arguing with that other congressman yeah. and almost came to blows. And when he, McCarthy thought he had his vote and then ended up he didn't, yeah. like that look of just disgust, pure, pure like animosity towards Gates. I mean, you can't replicate that. I'd love to see somebody just punch Gates right in the face. Just just on the house floor, just walk over and just punch him right in the mouth. Yeah, he is such an obnoxious, over-entitled person. I mean, he's just—and he's the epitome of one of these self-promotional— it's you know, all performative. Yeah, performance artist, uh, self-branding exercises. That's and, all and, it is. And what's his big bitches? Well, you haven't brought up a, a vote on term limits. Why? So you can maybe pass it and it doesn't go anywhere in, in the Senate? That's your giant complaint. You haven't voted on these 12 different um, uh, um, uh, budgeting items, which, hey, you promised it. It all sound good, but we all know that's not how this is going to happen. I mean, the Senate managed to get what their 13 passed. The Congress can't do that. This is going to be another omnibus bill at the midnight hour, like it always is. Like it always is. I mean, they'll pass a CR, they'll bitch about that, then they'll just omnibus it, and we'll just all go on for another 18 months like we always do. 
And somehow, and again, we all act like this is normal. Or I mean, it's a new normal, but, yeah, it, <laughs> but it isn't. It doesn't have to be this way. No, but and it wasn't that's this way. Just the way I mean, we've decades ago, to do it. this was no. not the case. I did. I did uh, get some amusement out of that tiff between Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates. Did you see when they were sparring about who taking credit for the impeachment inquiry? Yeah, that was so stupid. And basically, Marjorie Taylor Greene told Matt Gates, "Like, stand down. Like, you know, this was my thing." <laughs> it's just like really. <laughs> Let's spend our last 10 minutes talking about your trip to Poland and Germany. You just got back from Eastern Europe. Yes, I was there for two weeks and spent the bulk of that time in Poland, which is the land of my ancestry, in Warsaw and Krakow, with a side trip to Berlin by train. Amazing time. Weather could not have been better. High 70s, sunny, did not rain, no inclement weather. I um, traveled a lot by foot, saw a lot of both cities, um, a lot of museums, a lot of take, took in culture, history, all the good food, uh, and also went to the Auschwitz uh, and no. Birkenau concentration camps, uh, as well as visited Schindler's Factory, which is now a museum, went to the uh, Jewish ghetto in Warsaw and Krakow, uh, which, there's a remarkable memorial there, very sobering. Um, which should be seen. Um, and then in Berlin, um, did several touristy things, but also went to the Stasi Museum, yeah. which is the, the secret surveillance police of uh, the, by, under uh, when East Germany and East Berlin were under Soviet occupation. Um, and that was housed in their original old headquarters. And so it was remarkable to me to see what an actual um, surveillance society looked like. Um, the only um, comparable modern-day equivalent is North Korea, and it was just striking the level of fear, paranoia that hung over the citizens, the constant surveillance, the access to their homes, to their mail, to their uh, personal effects, Uh, and um, when all that came crashing down, when the Berlin Wall fell, um, it finally became um, evident to the rest of the world because all of um, the evidence was there. And the museum houses an incredible collection. It's immersive. You also get to see some of the rooms with some of the senior Stasi Soviet leadership. And the rooms look exactly as they did when they vacated in the 80s. And so it's like stepping back in time and you can see photos from then versus now um, furnished just like they were, you know, the um, what they call the war room where they would map out strategy. But yes, it was a phenomenal trip. Poland is a very beautiful, safe, clean country. Highly recommend um, if those who have never been to and visit. You said it's cheap too. Very cheap. Um, so Poland's uh, isn't yet using the euro. It's still using their um, own national currency called the złoty, um, and the uh, exchange rate is basically anything you see in Polish złoty. Um, it's you, one fourth is basically the amount in U.S. dollars. So gotcha. you just take a fourth of it. So if um, you can dine at what would be considered a four or five star tablecloth restaurant. Um, for less than $30 a person, like 25 and have like a filet mignon, like incredible food. Um, I stayed at a hotel in Warsaw that was Marriott luxury collection. Um, the hotel actually dated back to 1901 famous hotel, hotel Bristol, right next to presidential palace. So it'd be like staying right next to the white house. Yeah. You should be a picture of that. It's like, it butts right up to it. Oh, and it's a very ritzy neighborhood, like Aston Martin across the and street, all these high-end stores. Yeah, stores, yeah, in okay. Warsaw. So the equivalent would be about 500 to 800 a night probably in the United States, and this was a $200 a night hotel. So, um, I mean, just 
phenomenal service all around. I mean, it's just, it's incredible what you can get. Um, so very affordable and a lot of culture and history. Warsong Krakow still have the medieval walls that go back to the 12th century. Um, there are castles. Um, there's a castle in Krakow um, proper that you can visit and tour. There are castles just outside of both cities. Uh, so really great doorway to Eastern Europe. Um, but don't say that when you're in Poland because they like to consider yeah. themselves Central Europe. They don't like the moniker Eastern Europe. Would I, you would you do more travel in the Eastern Europe area? Would you go to some of the Balkans or Serbia and all that since you've I been would. that close to it? I would. The Balkans um, are a little bit more dicey because yeah. they're not part of NATO <laughs> and yeah. um, they the uh, the proximity to Russia um, makes them very vulnerable. Um, a little bit less so now than Norway is now part of NATO. Mm-hmm. NATO um, or, I'm sorry, not Norway, but Finland, um, because Finland is on the other side of the Baltic Sea, and that really helps them. Uh, but I would. There are other countries I want to go to. I did not make it to Prague or the Czech Republic. I'd okay. like to go there. Um, Slovakia um, as well. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so it was it was a phenomenal trip. I'm still in the process of posting photos and going through all of that. I was moving around constantly. So, I mean, every day I was walking about 20,000 steps or more per day every single day. So um, I was just exhausted and yeah. didn't have time to post or reminisce about everything. But you, you and my wife would be good travel companions. Wake up. You have like a 75 point thing you have to do today. <laughs> and you take off at like seven and you don't get back to like five. And you've yeah. just been on the go all day long. Which and that's how I operate. Although you get to a point where that does catch up to you, and then it's like, okay, I really have to just like yeah, at some point, relax for a couple yeah. hours, and yeah, <laughs> I know it, it's very much in style right now to call people communist, Marxist, socialist. You went to a part of the world that took those terms really seriously for a really long time, and what you found doesn't look anything like modern United States politics no. or society. And it's no. it's no. so irresponsible and egregious to use the terms like Nazi and communist when you actually go to where those atrocities were committed, or you talk to Poles, because you have to remember Poland was under the Iron Curtain just until um, 1989, 1990. So for many Poles, that's still recent history that they recall very vividly. My tour guide at Auschwitz lived under Soviet communism. She remembers rationing lines. You know, they can only buy certain uh, uh, products at the grocery store at certain times and only so much at a time. They had to use ration cards. She also remembers that speaking out against the government could get you blacklisted. Her father was a critic of the Soviet puppet government in Warsaw. And as a result, she was uh, blacklisted and not allowed to go to college. Um, her uh, She applied for college but did not get in um, due to her father's criticism of the government. Um, waiting for a car... I mean, you cannot just buy a car in many of these communist bloc countries. You were put on waiting lists because of the shortages, and sometimes it could take 20 years or more to get approved to get some kind of Soviet clunker car. I mean, and this was, these were not like American cars either. These were Russian-made, poorly-made yeah. cars. And, and just so to just, just something clear, popped in mind real quick. want to clear up. And social media sites collecting data on you to sell you things is not the same as the stuff you saw 
in that Stasi museum, right? No, I mean, yeah. because these people were being yeah. surveilled, their personal Correct. lives profiled, Correct. all out of retribution and to intimidate them yes. from uh, basically acquiring um, art, uh, items that were Western influence. Yeah. Um, West- people saying it's no different today with Google collecting data. It's a thousand percent. No, wrong. that was for marketing advertising purposes. This was directly for repression and for They fear. created a culture using this data. Oh, absolutely. repression They would fear. use it against you to yeah. incarcerate you for thought crimes against the state. So Google and Facebook are not, you know, using the information they collect against you to incarcerate you. It's a, it's a very major yeah. difference. Yeah, I, I agree. I think everybody should take a tour of those, those countries a little bit just to get a little more history and idea of what it really looks like when authoritarianism sets in. Yes, and I think that would stop just the wild, yes. uh, reckless abandon we throw away, throw around those terms here, which again is very irresponsible um, because again, we don't have that history. We don't. And it's it's foolish for us because it's it also shows that we're ignorant of that history if yeah. we use that language. That's true. All right, that's our hour. Nice to have you back in the United States, Brandon. Thanks, Craig. <laughs> Glad to be back. Thanks for listening to Two Men in the Middle. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at twomeninthemiddle.com. Drop us an email at twomeninthemiddle at gmail.com or tweet at us at Two Men in the Middle. We'll see you next week.